All right, good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Woo, good. Excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, grateful to be here with you guys. Uh, for those of you who missed, in the very beginning of the service, uh, we played what we are now calling our City Light 60 video, which at the first Sunday of every month, we're going to have 60 seconds to overview what happened the previous month, uh, just to celebrate what God has done to help all of us stay on the same page. So if you missed that, it'll be on Instagram, YouTube, all the places. It'll be great for you to see that, uh, just so that you can know everything that you might have missed about what God did uh, last month and what He continues to do through City Uh, As we've been talking about, it's been amazing to see God continue to work, actually catalyze and do more work uh, inside of a pandemic than before, and to see God use your life and your generosity and your servant hearts and to use this church uh, to not only impact this area, but all across the world, as the video will tell you, Pakistan, Egypt, everywhere, uh, so many places God has been able to use uh, this church to bring blessing to everyone. So uh, as well, just to give you a little insight into how God is even using the building now that people can begin slowly but surely uh, to do things in this space in a safe, social distance, face mask kind of way, like we do with service. Uh, this week, the building is being used uh, for Young Lives, which is our local teen mom ministry, uh, to be able to serve and bless um, some of the mothers in their ministry and for them to be able to come and be blessed and encouraged here in this space. Uh, And so those kinds of things are happening all the time. And the Lord is really using not just this church, but even this building that he gave us as a gift from him uh, in response to prayer and fasting to really bless the community. So just want to make sure that everybody uh, knows what God is doing and is excited about what God is doing uh, together. So we're in 2 Timothy. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible or your journal, If you have a journal, please use that. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. The journal is a gift to you. Uh, We'd love for you to take it and use it, to use it right now, to use it in your own home. Also, if you're new with us today, we'd love to meet you, connect with you, give you a little gift. So please don't leave uh, without talking to one of our team members, uh, which I'm sure will come find you immediately after the service because everybody can see. So uh, that's great. We're excited to be able to speak with you and to encourage you and help you get plugged in here. Uh, the, the, the Second Timothy journal is important, but something we say a lot here is that man shall not live by sermons alone. So what's important is for you to learn how to read the Bible and to grow in your relationship with God every day so that when you come to church on Sunday, right, God already gave you ice cream during the week, okay? You had all your chocolate ice, you had ice cream with the Lord. He gave you the substance, and a preacher should come and just put the cherry on top, Okay. You can't live by cherries though, right? You can probably live by ice cream to some degree. But go get your ice cream with the Lord. Learn to read the Bible for yourself. So one of the things I hope we do during this time together is not just you listen to me talk, but you engage with the scriptures and let the scriptures bring light to you. And then you learn good principles by which you can go read the Bible for yourself. Because if you really want to grow and change, that's where it's going to happen. And so we hope to equip you to do that. So take the book. Use it, please. It's a gift to you. And I think it'll grow. I know it'll grow you spiritually if you give yourself to it. Uh, So today as we look at at this text, our kind of phrase for the day is this, that your purpose is in the pattern. All right? Hey, if you have a neighbor, turn to your neighbor and say, your purpose is in the pattern. If you don't have a neighbor, just shout it at me or something. Your purpose is in the pattern. Your purpose is in the pattern. Now to say it more specifically, it would go like this. You will find your purpose when you follow God's pattern. This is what 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. 
Now, no matter how you came into this church, whether this is your first time in church, whether you're a follower of Jesus for like 50 years, or whether you're not a follower of Jesus at all, we're so glad that you're here. We all come from different backgrounds, different understandings, different experiences, but what we all have and what we all do is a pattern of life. We are all, every one of us, following a pattern. Now, the pattern might be given to us from celebrities, influencers, YouTubers. It might be given to us from our parents, from our leaders, from our teachers. It might be given to us from the culture around us. But every one of us is following some kind of pattern to create the story and the picture that is our life. We're all doing that, and we all need to think about, man, what is the pattern of my life? So many of us are following our own pattern because we don't know exactly what pattern to follow or maybe we don't like the ones that have been handed down to us. We're trying to create our own and because we don't actually have the power or the wisdom to know what we should do, then that creates chaos because we're trying to make our own pattern but it's not working. So let me give you uh, a little example of this. So God, I'm going to try to simplify everybody's life today, right? Everybody likes simple? Simple's good, right? Simple's good, okay? Sometimes preachers make things complicated. I'm guilty of that, I'm sure. Today I'm hoping to make it simple for you uh, in this way. I want you to think about it this way. In the middle of a pandemic, right, in whatever season of life you're in, the question we all ask ourselves is, what do I do next? What do I do next? And everybody puts a ton of pressure on themselves to figure out exactly what they're supposed to do next. And then we don't know what to do. And so that becomes to get really difficult for us, and it's burdensome. And so what I want to help for you today is help you have to take a deep breath. So, ah, this is all God wants you to do, okay? God, I'm going to try to draw this better than I did the first time, okay? God's writing a pattern, all right? I'm not an artist, all right? I'm a preacher. God's writing a pattern in your life. All you have to do, pandemic, no pandemic, good situation, no bad situation, is keep making triangles, Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, just make a triangle. Just make a triangle. Just make a triangle. All you got to do is draw a triangle. Just make a triangle, okay? Every day, following the footsteps, which I'm going to clarify, what does that mean? I just got to keep making triangles. God has laid out a pattern for my life. I don't have to come up with something new. I don't have to feel the pressure of creating something awesome or figuring everything out. I do what I know to do, which God has laid this out. I'm just going to keep making triangles. Now, when we're following the pattern of the world around us, Everybody changes their mind every three seconds. And the way we should go is different next day and next day and next year and next year. So when you follow the pattern of the world, at first they're like, hey, you need to make a square. And you're like, okay, I'll make a square, you know. And then they're like, no, you need to make a circle now. Circles are, what, circles are what's cool. No, okay, I'll make a circle. And they're like, no, it's a triangle. And then you're like, oh, I don't know, a star. And then, you know, that's not a star. That's an X. But whatever that is, all right, it gets very confusing. And then you're just like... And the world begins to say, well, no, no, it's not this, it's that, it's not this, it's that. And so then when you try to follow some kind of pattern, so many of you are frustrated because you're trying to follow the pattern of the world, and there is no pattern. The pattern is that we don't know what to do, so if we rely on ourselves, we change our mind about what is right, about how you should live. And so you're following this pattern the world has laid out for you, maybe even just the American dream and that your whole worth is found up in making the best life you can now. And so you're doing everything you can to be successful at the cost of your family or whatever else it might be. And so you're following the pattern of the world, and you feel frustrated inside this morning at church simply because you realize your life is out of balance and that you're following the pattern of the world. Some of you have given up on both these things, right? And you're just making your own pattern. But since we're not God and we don't know what to do in the wisdom of the world— you know, first you go up, and then you go down, and then you're like, oh, let me go straight, and then I'll go back this way, and then I go, you know, and this is what your life begins to look like, because you don't know what to do. So you're just making something up every single day or every single time. You go back, you go front, and this is the pattern, because you're trying to make up your own pattern in life. You're trying to figure out the way you should go by yourself. 
You're trying to do it by your own wisdom. And so you think, well, that's the best I can do. And so many of us are frustrated today because God has given us a very simple pattern. All right, just keep making triangles. But we've decided to follow the pattern of the world, and that doesn't work out. It's very confusing. And we've decided to follow our own pattern, and that's very chaotic. And so now, instead of things being simple and me just making triangles, I don't know what to do. And so today, what I want to help you with is to follow the scriptures and the word of the scriptures here in verse 13 to simply follow the pattern that God has laid out for you. Your purpose is in the pattern. It's in the pattern. You don't have to figure out your purpose. You don't have to do it. You find it by just following the pattern. And then all of a sudden, you'll live the life of purpose just because you were making triangles, not because you figured out your purpose. And so now you say, okay, this is what it's like to follow the pattern and to find my purpose. So I want you to think about it uh, like if you're making a blanket and you're knitting, okay? Does anybody do that in here? No, okay. All right, not anymore. All right, so that's irrelevant. Okay, you guys will know what it would be like, though. If you're trying to follow the pattern or a math equation or something, you have to remember, right? You have to follow the sequence to create the picture. If the blanket is triangle, triangle, circle, circle, triangle, triangle, circle, circle, I got to keep doing that all over again so that the end result is exactly what I want it to be. If I don't follow the sequence, the outcome, the final product will not be right. So this is the word of God for you today, is to say you got to follow the sequence that God has laid out for you in his word, delivered especially through his people in your life. And if you follow the sequence, you'll come out with the final product that is good. But you have to follow the sequence. You have to follow the pattern that God has laid out for you. And if you do any other way, your final blanket or whatever it is, your life will be a picture of chaos. And it won't be what you wanted it to be at the end. So this is what I'm here to help you with today, to find the pattern, to follow the pattern. So let's read the whole uh, text. It's verse 8 through 18. So open your Bible or your scripture journal and, and read it with us, with us. Starting in verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now we could stop right there sermon done. This is the essence of life in these couple of verses. But we're going to keep reading, right, because there's more. But I want you to feel the weight of that. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Then he gives an example. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So follow the pattern. In verse 13, it says, the pattern is made up of sound words, which is namely the truth. You have to know the truth to be able to follow the pattern. You have to know the right sequence to end up with the right final product. 
So to do that well today, as best we can, and as practically as we can, there are three very clear commands that we're just going to use, okay? To say, what's the life I should live? What are characteristics of the life I should live? Well, here are three main commands. They are not exhaustive, right? The whole scriptures will, will give this fullness, but there are three. Do not be ashamed, from verse 8. Share in suffering, from verse 8. And guard the good deposit, verse 14. If we simply follow these commands, then we're going to end up with the right final product. We're going to follow the right sequence. We're going to follow the right pattern. I want you to think about it uh, like this. So the verse 8 has two commands. Verse 14 has a command. Okay, 13 and 14 have two commands. One of them we're using as our primary thing. In the middle is the gospel. Okay? So you have to think about it like an Oreo, all right? You need the top, the middle, and the bottom to get the whole essence of an Oreo. You need the commands of God that we must keep in order to follow His way. The gospel of God, which is the very essence of what it is to know and love God and to receive from God the truth of eternal life. And then, once again, a command to follow and love God. So you got to think about today as we're digesting the text, like you're eating a whole Oreo. And so many of us, right, some of y'all are the ones who you take the Oreo apart, right, and you lick the, the cream in the middle, or you just bite it off right. Who's that? Who's, is Anybody willing to confess this is how they eat Oreos? Okay, there's a few. Uh, and you're eating the cream in the middle. Or I've never actually met anybody that just eats the chocolate. Does anybody do that? They're like, I don't need the cream. Oh, there's a person who does that. Strange. That's so strange. Hey, to every, to every person himself, right? That's really cool. Uh, do your thing. Now, the point is that so many of us receive the Bible and the thinking of the Lord like this, where we'll break it apart and we'll say, well, I got to keep this command. We try to eat the commands, right? We try to live out the commands without the essence of the gospel. And so we have command keeping because we need to do the right thing, but we don't have the power of the gospel. We leave that alone. Some of us love the truth of the gospel because of how amazing it is, but we neglect command keeping and doing the things that God has asked us to do, which is what we were called to do. And so we eat the thing in the middle, and we enjoy the middle, but we leave everything else behind. And you miss the experience of the whole Oreo. So what I'm trying to tell you today with the text and with you living out your Christian life is you need both things. You need to receive and believe and know the essence of Christianity, which is the gospel message of Jesus' life, death, resurrection for your sins so that you may have eternal life if you believe in his name. Everything flows from that. Then there's command keeping, which are the manifestations of a person who really truly believes the gospel. So for us to say, man, I always have to remember and love the gospel, what Jesus has done for me, along with being diligent to keep the commands of God with faithfulness and eagerness, this is the holistic way for us to read the scriptures, for us to live the Christian life. Not one thing or the other, but all of them, all right? So we're going to eat the whole Oreo together today. So the three things, three commands, we'll start with the first one. Do not be ashamed. That's why I'm wearing the shirt that I am. Side reference, this is our baptism shirt. And if somebody in here has not been baptized and you do follow Jesus, we'd love to help you take that step of obedience. If you decide to follow Jesus today and repent from your sins and believe in his name, we'd love to baptize you as well. So we'd love to help you plan that. We can do it in a very safe, clean, socially distanced way, all right? We've already done a couple that way. So we'd love to help you even in COVID-19. We can do that, all right? So do not be ashamed. Verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. If I, one of the triangles, right, that I'm going to make is the triangle of an unashamed life. So what's the pattern, God? What's the next step? What are the things that I should do? How do I make a triangle and continue the pattern that you've laid out for me? And the first one, he says, well, you need to live an unashamed life. Do not be ashamed. Now, he says this three times, which makes it clearly important. In verse 8, he tells Timothy to not be ashamed. And in verse 12, he talks about how he is not ashamed, Paul, first person. And then in verse 16, he talks about how Onesiphorus was not ashamed. 
And so in his charge to Timothy, the key ingredient was, man, you can't, you can't live ashamed. You do not be ashamed of the gospel. In his reflection on his own ministry, a key ingredient was, may I have lived unashamed of the gospel. And then the example he gives of Onesiphorus, one of the key ingredients of that guy's life is that he was unashamed of the gospel. Meaning that this reality of not being ashamed is super, super important for us to grab hold of and live so that we can follow the pattern God has for us. Now, the encouraging thing about this particular text here is that Timothy is a lot like you and me. So when you read the Bible, you have all these strong, you know, Paul's out there. There's a lot of people out there being very bold and doing things. And we're like, I wish I could be like that person. Well, Timothy seems like you and me, right? He's a little bit afraid. Paul has to give him a little encouraging talk to motivate him because Timothy doesn't have the same confidence and the same boldness, probably not even the same personality as Paul. He's a little more timid, timid Timothy, right? He's a little more afraid. He's a little bit more hesitant. He's a little bit scared of the suffering that might come if he steps into that arena. So he's a lot like you and me. I mean, this letter, just like the Bible is written for you and me, because Timothy is a lot more like you and me than probably Paul, the idea here now is, man, this, I want you to like hear this directly from Paul to you so that you can live the life God has called you to. So don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you a few things here. Number one, being unashamed of the gospel starts with being in awe of the gospel, okay? So unashamed starts with being in awe. If you are not in awe, you cannot be unashamed. And now this is what he's going to explode for us in verses 9 and 10, the, the essence of Christianity, the cream in the Oreo, the most important thing about what the Bible has to say to us is this gospel message. And what we're going to see from this is if this is what we are living for, there is nothing to be ashamed of in the message we are proclaiming. The very thing that we live for has no ingredients of it that actually bring about shame. They're wonderful, good news. And we have to remind ourselves constantly over and over again of what is the essence of the gospel. So if you're here today, you're like, I don't know what it means to follow Jesus. This is going to be as clear and explicit as you could ever hear, not because of me, but because he's making it so clear right here. And I want you to understand what Jesus is calling you to. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, be encouraged and remember what it is you truly believe. So look what he says. What is the gospel? How how do I get in awe of this amazing message? Well, look, the first part, verse 9, who saved us. The the first part of the gospel is that God saves people. This is nothing to be ashamed of. God saves people. He saves people from eternal death and separation from God. He saves people from the destruction of their own way. He saves people from a chaotic pattern of life. He saves people from their own sin. God saves people. He saves people. This is what the gospel does when God uses it to save people. And there's nothing to be ashamed of about saving people. Right? Nobody's like, nobody's like, yeah, I work for the Coast Guard. I save lives. They're like, you, that's an embarrassment, you know? I don't want to be your friend. No, it's an honor. It's to say, man, that's an honorable life that you are living. I'm glad to be your friend. Why? Because it's a, it's a, God saves people. He actually does this. And I know for those of you in the room who have trusted in Jesus, you can't remember, I can't forget that he has saved you. Saved you, like literally saved your life for eternity through Jesus. And this is what he is offering to those around you. This is what you are living to proclaim, is that God legit saves people. There's nothing to be ashamed of in that. And then look as it keeps going. Verse 9, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So he saves people even though they're a hot mess. 
Right? He saves people even though they're in the darkest of dark places. He saves people even though they do terrible things, like all of us. He saves people even though we have such horrible hearts. And he saves us regardless of our works because he's the one who did all the work. So God saves, and now you're like, oh, that's good news. What do I have to do? Believe. Why would I be ashamed to say somebody that? I'd be ashamed, you know, if I had to say, well, okay, that's good news, but here's what you need to do. Okay, you got to go to church every week, right? And then you got to do this, you got to live like this, you got to dress this way, you got to da 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 And say, if you live, you know, if you do all this stuff, then you can be saved. That's not very good news, and I would be very ashamed to share that message, but this is not what God says. God says he saves, and then he says, not because of you or anything you could do, because of a matter of fact, none of us can work our way to heaven. It's impossible. We're not good enough to do that. So God says, since you can't do it, I'll do it. And God sends his son Jesus into the earth to live a perfect life, die the death that you and I deserve, be raised from the dead, and then offer eternal life to anyone who would trust in him. Now, what is there to be ashamed about that? Like, what, what about that message is like, oh, man, this is— not, No, we have to remember the core of the gospel. There's actually—this is why he's saying Why does he say, don't be ashamed, and then he jumps into the gospel? For the same reason we're doing that right now, because he's reminding Timothy of the goodness and the glory of what he has to share and the power in the message. God really does save people, and he does it not according to their own works. He asks us simply to repent from our sins and believe and trust in him. Now, how is this verified? Because a lot of people have different religions and different thoughts, and is this a fairy tale or whatever? No, what does he say? Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of Savior, our Savior, Christ Jesus. So not only is this like a great idea and something that would be wonder if it was true, it has been proved to be true by God coming to earth and living with us. So not just a good idea. Somebody didn't just have a vision and say, well, this is how the world goes. No, God literally came down. He appeared in Christ Jesus. He was with us. He lived a real life on earth that got recorded, written down, so people could know thousands of years later. He died a real death on the cross. He rose again from the grave in such a dramatic way that nobody could ever find his body because there wasn't one left in the tomb. That would have been a really easy way to end Christianity is just produce the dead body of Jesus. Couldn't do it. So now we say, man, all of this stuff verifies and gives teeth to this wonderful thing I believe about heaven, hell, eternal life. To say, wow, this is true, and it's been verified because Jesus appeared. And to say, I'm not telling you, like, I don't have a fairy, I don't have a good idea to tell you. I have a good news of something that really happened in the world that's good for you. There's nothing to be ashamed of with that. Finally, look at this. Uh, what did he do when he came? Well, he just abolished death. That's all. Like, have you ever read—sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, is that sentence right? Like, how do you—he abolished death. He brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. He abolished death. He literally killed death. He took away the sting of death. He took away the result of death. He killed it. And for those who are trusting in him, death, physical death, simply becomes a doorway into eternal life with Jesus where you will never die. He just killed death. He went into the ring with death, and he came out the winner. He killed it. Now, think about it. This is really good news. There's nothing to be ashamed of because if you had a friend who killed cancer— you're like, I have a friend, he has a cure for cancer, and he fixed it, and I'm super embarrassed of him, you know. You'd be like, yeah, yeah. No, what do you think about? You have a friend who cured cancer? I want to meet that guy. That guy's amazing. That guy killed cancer? That guy should be on, that guy's amazing. And nobody would be like, man, I hate being around the guy that killed cancer. I hate talking about him. So I have something to tell you. I'm super embarrassed. I have a friend who killed cancer. Yeah, I know it's 
I know. No! So you got to think about, what are we saying? I have a friend, a Savior, a God, my Father, who killed death. And he wants to do that for you. What do you have to do? Believe this message. Repent from your sin. Trust in him. Follow him. He did all the work. Like, what? We got to remind ourselves, if I'm going to draw the triangle of an unashamed life, it starts with being in awe of the gospel, excited about the fact that I have good news. There is nothing to be ashamed of in the gospel message. And now this is when it gets tricky for us, because Christians so often can be defined by our peripherals, right? Our politics, our stances on certain issues, which once again are fine, and we should deal with those things, we should know those things. But what we need to be known by is this essence, the cream in the Oreo. We need to be known by this, this gospel message. And then everything else, which we should still hold firm to as much as it is true in accordance with the scriptures, we need to say, no, but that's not what we're defined by. I'm defined by this gospel message. So let's preach the gospel, let's share the gospel, and let's not let the people around us define us by the exterior things that we believe. To say, man, those are important, but it starts here. And as soon as you know and love Jesus, then you can submit to his commands. Asking people to follow the way of Jesus without having the heart of Jesus, is that's not going to work anyways. So once again, we've talked about we do what we can to change the things we can in any tangible way we can. But without the heart of the Holy Spirit given by repentance and faith in Jesus, nobody's going to listen, follow, and obey the commands of Jesus. So we start with the gospel, meaning all the gospel. Okay, then Paul says in verse 12a, He defines being not ashamed some more. He says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, not just what I have believed. Whom? I know Jesus. Let me write this down. The core of confidence is connection. The more you know God, the more you trust Him. You got to hear me with this. You cannot be unashamed and uninformed. You cannot. The core of your confidence to know and walk with Jesus and be strong in the Lord and take those steps of faith comes from your connection with God. The more you know Him, the more you'll trust Him, which is true about anybody in life, how much more so with God. And then here's the thing, you cannot be unashamed and uninformed. You cannot have a a superficial relationship with Jesus and power in your walk with Jesus. You can't be unashamed and uninformed. And so now you say, as I pursue a greater knowledge of him and I know him, that's going to produce greater confidence for him. And so often we try to hear the command as Christians and say, I need to follow the command to go be bold without ever doing the first thing of the connection. Starts with the connection. Confidence starts with connection. The core of confidence is connection. You cannot be unashamed and uninformed. And then in verse 12, he continues to say, so these are, why are you not ashamed, Paul? Well, I'm not ashamed because I know who I'm talking about. I know who I believe. And then I'm not ashamed because I'm convinced that this person that I know is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Now, real quick, hang with me here for a second, a little theology lesson. Right here, or a little Bible lesson, in verse 12b, your ESV, the one you're holding right there and the one I have right here, it says, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, as I was looking into this, every other version almost says something like this. Let me, their slides are on the screen. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day, NIV. I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day of his return, NLT. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And so it's a little backwards. So I began looking to ask, like, what's going on? So the little Greek, the, the original language, says this, just literally, word for word, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day my deposit. My deposit. So now there's an inference of meaning to say, is it my deposit as in a deposit that's given to me, or my deposit as in the deposit I give to God? 
And that's where you got to pick it up and try to figure out what exactly is going on there. Now, what gets clear in verse 14, he says it the other way around. He says, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you, to us. And it's very clear, as in something from God that has been given to you, namely the gospel. So verse 12, it seems like it's a different thought and that you have to be willing to suffer and you need to be unashamed. So what do you need to do? You need to be able to trust God with what you've given to him. So to say that the, the, the way this should be translated, I think, is that I, he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. So now you're thinking the way to live unashamed for the gospel of Jesus Christ is it requires a trust that God will guard my life that I have given to him. So think practically. Uh, I have a reputation. I would like to keep my reputation intact. Uh, being bold for Jesus sometimes creates problems with that. And so now if I'm going to step into a place where I get shamed and my reputation gets slandered, the only way I'm going to do that is if I've already given my reputation to God. And now I've entrusted as a deposit God with my reputation. And now on the day that he returns, he vindicates my reputation with the whole world. The same with my life or my finances or whatever it might be, I say, I give it to God. I've entrusted this to him. And I cannot fully live out what God has called me to do without doing it that way. I write this down. We endure temporary shame from culture by knowing we will enjoy eternal vindication from Christ. Okay? Here's the trick. If I'm going to live for Jesus, I'm going to experience shame. I'm called to be unashamed. So what does that mean? Living according to the way of Jesus will get you shamed in the world. It has always done that. No matter what culture you live in, it might look worse or it might have worse punishments like death in some places, but it will get you shamed regardless. So now you say, I'm going to be shamed, so how am I supposed to live unashamed? And that's the, the key to the Christian life now is to say, I understand that the shame I'm experiencing now will turn into vindication later. And so I can be shamed and still be unashamed because I know what's coming. Right? So now that's what it means to truly be bold. It's not to say, let me, let me get around this or say it in the most relevant way I can. Let me slip around this so people don't shame me. It's actually, no, let me tell the truth like it is. Let me do it in love. But whatever happens, whatever shame I receive, I can still be unashamed because I know on that day I'll be vindicated before the whole world forever. And so now I say, I got to think that way. I got to think, what is the Lord doing? So I make a deposit to God. Now, who in here likes deposits more than withdrawals in your bank account, right? Okay, is anybody, okay, everybody, that, that means you're putting money in as opposed to getting money taken out, right? Is that simpler? Who likes getting money put into their bank account more than getting money taken out of their bank account, right? Okay, man, y'all are, oh, come on, y'all are some weird people if you like money getting taken out of your bank account, all right? I don't know who enjoys that, but you're making a deposit. So everybody likes making deposits. Now, I want you to think about it biblically to say, you got to motivate yourself this way, when I, for the sake of the gospel, enter into a place and receive shame on behalf of Jesus' name, I have just made a deposit into my eternity. I just made a deposit. Now, if I step back from that because of fear, I've made a withdrawal. See what I'm saying? You think, and I think, if I step into the place of shame, that's a withdrawal because that's unpleasant. When actually, spiritually, eternally, it's a deposit. So now you begin to think, I'm not losing something, I'm gaining something every time. Every time I step into a place of obedience, and whether I suffer or get shamed or any type of problem that I have, because I stepped into a place of obedience, if I'm thinking spiritually and biblically, I'm thinking I'm making a deposit, I'm making a deposit, I'm making a deposit. It's something I will experience forever. So don't think that. you got to flip it. 
I'm not getting a withdrawal when that happens to me. I'm making a deposit. And to step back from that situation for the sake of my own comfort is actually to make a withdrawal as opposed to making a deposit. Okay, this is what he's teaching us. All right, we need to hurry through here. Sharing suffering is your second one. That's pretty much everything we just said uh, because that goes with it. Verse 8, but sharing suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In verse 11 and 12, he says, this is why he's suffering, for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. The simple point in this is that suffering for the gospel is a result of living out the calling of the gospel. You don't suffer because you're called, you suffer because you're living according to the call. Right? This is what he says. Here's the gospel. I'm an apostle, a preacher, and a teacher, and for those reasons I suffer as I do. So, meaning, if I live the life God has called me to and fulfill the role and keep drawing triangles, eventually those triangles are going to create suffering. Now, here's very important. I hope you guys are all listening to me right now. In the sense where, right, anybody who's tried to do the right thing and follow Jesus, and you're trying to draw triangles, and what happens? You keep drawing triangles, and what do you get for your triangles? You get suffering. And you're like, no! I was doing the right thing, Lord. I'm drawing triangles. And then all of a sudden, the pattern I'm following creates a life of suffering. So what do we do when that happens? We deviate and say, well, that ain't it. So let me try something down here. These people look pretty happy. For three seconds, at least, they do. And so now I'm going to start drawing circles, whatever the world tells me to draw, because I've drawn triangles for God, and I get suffering. No, no, no. I'm not doing that anymore. No more triangles for me. I go here, and I start drawing everything else, and I'm like, man, I'm so confused. The world tells me to do something different every day. I don't even know what to do anymore. So I'm like, well, I just trust myself. Let me draw something. I'm going to create the pattern of my own life, because this one gets me suffering. This one's confusing, and now I try to do this, and my life is just chaos. I can't make the pattern. I don't have the power to do that or the wisdom. I simply cannot draw out life as it should be. Now, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, <clears throat> this is so crucial to you being ready to suffer for God and keep drawing triangles. The point of the way of Jesus is that the final picture that God wants to draw of your life is made by, and large, is made by parts of suffering. It is the pattern. The pattern is to suffer at some level for the gospel. That's the pattern. It's not a deviation from the pattern. It's not an exception to the pattern. It is the pattern. And obviously for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, this is more real to them than it is to people like us. But as America changes and things, this becomes more real to us in some ways. But as things I think we are learning as American Christians or people who live in America, as Christians in this place, to say, man, Suffering is normative in the Bible and all of Christian history. And so now when I suffer, and not just think, don't just think suffering like, I hate you, you're a Christian, you know, whatever, which is a part of it. That happens a lot less than people think. Uh, but suffering that like, let's say I step into a hard place in an act of obedience and life is just harder now, just harder. Like I try to do the right thing and it's just harder. Or I try to give the money away and I just, I don't have it. Or whatever it might be, that I'm stepping into a place of obedience and the life that I have chosen to follow Jesus has made my life harder. I'm trying to, to draw triangles and make disciples, and all that's done is create a mess in this relationship. All it's done is take away my free time, whatever. And to think, man, any of the suffering I experience, whether it's being mocked or shamed, which once again happens a lot less than most people think, but it happens, it happens. It's more like the suffering that comes from acts of obedience to say my life is simply harder now than it was. And then we're following the way of Jesus, life gets harder, and we deviate. And we say, no, no, no. And what I want to tell you today from the Bible is this is what it means. This is the pattern. So we don't have to deviate. We have to trust and follow Jesus. That as the suffering happens, 
God's creating a blanket. He's creating a picture that one day we'll see the whole thing on the day that we're with him. It'll make sense. It'll make sense. So be ready. You got to be ready. Now, this doesn't mean you go suffer on purpose, and don't suffer because you're a jerk, okay? Don't suffer because you're—people are shaming you because you're offending everybody. You know, don't do that, okay? You should be shamed for that, all right? Preach the gospel. Do it kindly and do it in love. Don't be a jerk. So uh, share in suffering and be ready. Just be ready. Just have a heart and a mind that knows the word that's ready, okay? Don't look for it. Don't try to get it. Suffering doesn't make you a better Christian or anything like that, but just be ready. Be ready. Okay, guard the good deposit. This is the last command, verse 14. We'll close out. Guard the good deposit. Now, it says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. Trusted you. This is important. If you remember from verse 12, if you're tracking with me, in verse 12, he said, I've deposited something to you. I'm entrusting something to you, God. And then in verse 14, he tells Timothy to guard the good deposit. So here's something for you to write down. I cannot guard what has been deposited to me if I do not trust God to guard what I have deposited to him. Okay, I hope you're there. I cannot guard what has been deposited to me, namely live a life in accordance with the gospel, if I do not trust God to guard what I have deposited to him. So I cannot guard the good deposit, the gospel, with boldness if I haven't already trusted God with my reputation. That has to come first. To say, I've already deposited that. I cannot trust God with being generous with my resources and time and finances if I don't already, if I don't already trust God, right? I can't, I can't actually live the call to do those things if I don't trust God with my life and well-being, right? I cannot fulfill the command to guard the good deposit. I can't keep making triangles, right, if I don't understand and see the whole blanket. Like, what life is God guarding for me? So if I don't trust God to guard what I'm given to him, I will never, never guard what God has given to me. And so many of us are doing it backwards, and we're trying to do the right thing and guard what God has given to us and try to live according to the Bible without ever really trusting God with our life, with every practical detail of it. And I want to say, you cannot guard what has been deposited to you if you don't trust God to guard what, what uh, you have deposited to him. Uh, also, it says here, I want to remind you, guard the good deposit. So write this down. You need to guard what is good. So if I'm going to keep making triangles, I need to stop wasting time guarding that which is not good or creating a hedge of protection or a refuge for something that's not valuable. You need to guard and spend your energy and time and resources guarding what is good, what is valuable, right? The gospel, the word of God, a life lived in honor of him. These are things worth guarding. The purity of your heart and your mind, these are things worth guarding. These are things worth scheduling around. These are things worth aiming at. But if I spend time guarding other things, right, if I'm too guarded with my free time, right, and I put a box around that, that's my time, Right? And now, if you have any kids, that's gone, that box is gone, right? So this is, you learn to live without it. There's no such thing. But before then, before you learn to do that, right? Every parent said, amen. Before you learn to do that, you have this box that's called my free time, and I'm guarding that box. And I spend so much time guarding that box that I don't live according to the calling God has called on me to guard the gospel. I'm guarding my box of my free time. So a small, simple example, but things like that. Guard what is good. Do the pattern based off what is true and good. So verse 13, the pattern is according to sound words. And then he says, these sound words you need to live out with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So this is important as you're making your pattern. For God, it's not just content but character. It's not just the words but the life that you live. So if you're going to follow the pattern of the way of God, you don't just need to draw triangles, right? You need to color them blue or whatever. Whatever color God has, you know, told you. 
You need a color of them blue, okay? And so many of us, God's like, it's a blue triangle, all right? It's a blue triangle I've asked you to do. And we're like, I'll draw a triangle, but I'm going to color it orange, you know? I'm going to tweet about the gospel, but my next tweet's going to be mean, and it's going to be about, you know, slandering somebody's life. So I got my triangle, it's the gospel, but I, my character is not lined up with that. And so you have to remember as you're living out your life, it's content and character. God cares about shape and color. So if you're going to do the pattern correctly, not only do you have to follow the proper shapes, you have to follow the proper colors. Okay? I try to say color right. I say color like color. Okay? Color. But my wife makes fun of me for that. So, and so does everybody else I know. Um, just say, just say uh, colon. Everybody say colon. Okay. No, I say color. Everybody says color. That's right. I got it backwards. Okay. Anyway, this is a total side note. All right, anyways, I get made fun of that all the time. Kohler, Kohler. I say Kohler. That's the right way to say it. Okay, anyways. Um, shape and Kohler, shape and Kohler, shape and Kohler, right? So here's what I want to do. Shape and Kohler, as, you, as we close this out. I have this little blanket right here, you know, that my friends over there can use if they get cold because it's so cold in here. That was a joke. It's not cold in here. All right, so I have this blanket. And uh, now I want you to think about this, all right, as we close out. Right? This is a Mickey Mouse. Everybody know that, right? This is Mickey Mouse, all right? This is Mickey Mouse. Now, it clearly follows a path. I found this in the basement. I have no idea whose it is, all right? This idea came to me this morning. So this is what preachers do. All right, I found this in the basement. And there's this blanket. And there's a clear pattern of both shape and color. Now, I want you to think about your life like God is creating this final picture. But you might be like with these first ones right here, you know? God sees this, that if you would keep making these circles, these Mickey Mouse faces, you know there's no triangles, there's no squares, there's Mickey Mouse circle faces. And if you keep making that, then you're going to follow the pattern God has set for you. But if you begin to deviate, it's not going to work, it's not going to make sense. And what I want you to see is that the suffering in your life for the gospel is actually creating the pattern. The details in your life, where you live, the pandemic you're in, is a part of creating the pattern. It all matters. And God is using those details in your life. He's using your obedience. He's using the gospel message in and through you. He's using your suffering, all of it, to create a final picture. And what he's asking you today is not figure out where the blanket goes, where to put the blanket, all of that. That's God's job. He's asking you to make the next pattern. That's it. Draw the next pattern. Right? Go spend time in God's Word. Do what He's asked you to do. Share the gospel. Be kind to this person. Serve. Give this or give that. He's asking you, man, just draw the triangle. Make the pattern. And if you do that in suffering and out of suffering, if you do that in a pandemic and out of pandemic, God will put together the picture of your life. And when it's all said and done, even though we're a bunch of screw-ups, God is so gracious that if we follow His pattern, it'll make sense. And we'll have a life lived that makes sense. And we'll stand before the Lord one day with all our mistakes and all that. God covers it all, and we'll have lived a life according to the pattern that God has set for us. But you got to see the whole picture to be able to see where you're at so that you can keep making the pattern and keep following the steps that God has put in front of you. Because every detail of your life, every moment of suffering, every act of faithfulness and obedience to keep His commands is creating this picture of a life well-lived for Jesus. Your purpose is in the pattern. And you will find your purpose when you follow God's pattern. It's much simpler than we make it. So let me pray for us. Lord, we love you so much, God. We're so thankful for this opportunity to be in your word this morning. We pray that you would help us, God, follow your pattern. 
the pattern laid out from your scriptures, the pattern laid out from godly people around us, that we would not follow the pattern of the world or our own pattern, but that we would trust in and follow you. And so, God, help us. We thank you for the goodness of the gospel, that there is nothing to be ashamed of in the gospel message. Make us more and more Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching people. It's in Jesus' name we all pray this together. Amen. All right, as we uh, close out today, this is a time of response. We have these communion cups, uh, and this is the first time we've taken communion in a while, okay? These things were on back order for forever, right? So I'm glad that we can finally do this together again in a safe, social distancing way. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, uh, as you respond to how God's working in your heart, just do whatever's needed. Pray, sing, do whatever. Respond to the Lord. Take communion when you, when you want to. Remember that God told us to remember his body that was broken for us and his blood that was poured out. That's what we are doing when we take communion. For those that are here that aren't followers of Christ, once again, we're so glad you're here. I hope you heard the gospel message with clarity. The thing for you is not to take communion, but to take Christ. That's the most important thing. This is for those of us who already believe that message. But if you're here today and you haven't believed that message yet, today is the day. And we'd love to help you walk through that and take that next step. So we'll be down here to pray uh, now and afterwards if that's a step you'd like to take. But either way, all of us, let's respond to what God's doing in your heart and your mind.